0: Just go to indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we are eight weeks into the NFL season, and we are starting to define the hierarchy of the NFL. We are separating the haves from the have-nots. We are separating out the teams that uh, truly could contend for a Super Bowl from the teams that... Uh, we'll probably see in 2024, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to you guys in draft season. If you're in the bottom of the barrel, um, no, no disrespect to the Packers fans that are tuning in this week. Sorry, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have anything positive for you. We'll, we'll get to you down the line. We have, a, we have a lot of contending teams that we want to get to first, and we do have five uh, really, really, really good football games. We're going to break down um, that happened yesterday. Uh, Again, we are recording this before Monday Night Football, so we don't have any reactions to the Lions Raiders game. But um, as far as the Jaguars, Steelers, Falcons, Titans, Eagles, Commanders, Bengals, 49ers, and Chiefs, Broncos matchups, respectively, boy, we have a lot to say. Uh, EJ,
1: any opening thoughts before we get to it? It's a lot of good football yesterday. A lot of really interesting games. A lot of games that did not go according to. The NFL script the script writers I think took the week off or maybe they decided to strike too. not sure but we had six legitimate games this week that we were weighing last night like man I want to talk about this one I want to talk about this one some some weeks it's four plus whatever you want <laughs> this week it was like there were six legitimate contenders for really good games I think we picked uh, the five that interest us the most and yeah, we're starting to see cream rise to the top for sure, but the NFL is trying to keep that picture muddy with parody like they always do. They're just spackling parody over everything. Yeah. Quick shout out to the
0: Cowboys, by the way. We're we're not going to break down that game um in in full detail, but I do want to acknowledge that I said in the preview show that I've been waiting for them to just obliterate an actually solid football team. Uh and they delivered they did it like they they absolutely crushed the rams in all phases of the game offense defense special teams um that that's the cowboys team that i've been waiting for not the one that beats up on the giants or or, you know beats up on the jets like like no like take a, a solid yes still building but solid young team in the rams that actually has some teeth and just beat the shit out of them so good to see from the cowboys um We will be talking about them in a lot more detail later in the week because it's Eagles Cowboys week. So that's definitely going to be one of the games that we preview for week nine. But uh, for now, we have a bunch of other games that were a hell of a lot closer that we want to get into, starting with Steelers Jaguars. And, well, Steelers fans listening to this might be like, oh, no, that game wasn't close. Once we were down by 10, it was over. You're not (laughs) wrong. But at the same time, um, there were some good things put on tape there from the Steelers that, that made me think they're not entirely dead yet. Yes. The offense is still the offense, but defensively they still have some teeth. Uh, it's just, they ran into a, a, a Jags team that is as hot as hot can be, you know, five straight, um, you know, in position to contend for the first seed in the AFC. And at this point I wouldn't doubt if they are there in the very, very end Uh, of the season like the jags
1: look that complete of a team that it's it's gonna be tough to beat them jags apparently listened to the preview podcast because we said they needed to get etn going check 149 yards combined and a td we said they needed to get ridley going they went to him early mostly check uh you know not the most complete game but he had six receptions 10 targets 83 yards Better, certainly, than his last two outings. And you could see the offense start to move. Again, a really early point of emphasis from Trevor. He had other choices on the first throw to Ridley. He chose to throw that ball to Ridley. Hey, man, I'm looking at you. We're going to get you going. Don't worry about it. And Trevor had a pretty efficient day. Uh, You know, 24 of 32, 292, one TD, one pick. The pick was brutal. We'll just acknowledge. Like, the pick was bad. It is worrisome. It is not the end of the world when you sort of take it in context with the rest of the performance. Obviously good enough to win against, as you said, a very good defense and keep this Jags team on a roll, which I think is important. They are building momentum, especially in their division leading up to the playoffs. And they're going to have to win games like this against tough teams with tough defenses that are going to challenge them. And they have to be able to, just like you said about the Cowboys, sort of put their foot down and say, nope, we can crack your shell if we need to and go on and take the W. They did that yesterday. So overall, pretty solid day for the Jags offense. Uh, Trevor in particular,
0: um, you know, kind of the difference in this game for me was these four big time throws that he made. And he's. He's had uh, some ups and some downs this year, mostly ups, but still plenty of downs. Um, but kind of what separates Trevor from a lot of the other young quarterbacks in the league, where we're still trying to figure out, like, can can a team win with them? I.e., you know, Kenny Pickett on the other side. Um, you know, what separates Trevor from that group is there's three or four plays a game that he makes where you're like, wow like that's that's special that's different. There was a um, a deep ball that he threw down the sideline as he was getting just detonated in his ribs. I mean he fully stepped into it took everything right in the ribs got annihilated, still complete for a you know 20 25 yard gain something like that. there was a, a bender against cover two from the far hash that he threw early on. And I think it was after Minka went out and it was Devante Casey that was driving on it. But I mean, he threaded the needle, like put it up there, like just an incredible whole shot. And Casey was right there. Didn't matter. And if, if the receiver stayed up, which I think was Calvin Ridley, like it's six, right. Insane throw um, came back to it later. And that was actually what set up the, the ETN touchdown. Cause they kind of gave a, not the same, but a similar, type of look uh against cover two trips to the field KZ's sitting there and he's like oh he's gonna throw the bender again again it's far hash he's like he's not gonna try to throw it all the way out to the sideline they're gonna try to throw the bender because they're expecting me to expand out and KZ stayed inside and he was just driving on it like he didn't even look like he was driving on it. he's like i know what they're gonna throw and then etn just kept going and you could see the panic in KZ's eyes like oh my god they are gonna throw it all the way down the sideline like That's a far, far throw. It's a long way to go, especially to a running back. And KZ, like you could literally see it on tape, that oh shit moment. And then once ETN had it, he was gone. So it it was great play calling. We talked in the preview episode about how the Steelers defense is fairly predictable. Like they do what they do. Uh, It's a lot of cover three. It's man coverage on third and medium. It's cover two on third and long. Like they do what they do, but they perform it well. Um, Doug Peterson, Doug Peterson went into this game with a bunch of calls specifically designed to beat what the Steelers did. And he did it because he had a quarterback that can hit those throws. Like it was, it was not a uh, disguised game for either team (laughs) here. Like they just lined up and played ball. And at the end of the day, like when you have Trevor Lawrence and you have Calvin Ridley getting back into the things, you have ETN, you have Christian Kirk. Their, their dudes were better than Pittsburgh's dudes. And that's the result you get.
1: It's going to be a theme for the day. We talk about teams with quarterbacks and teams without. And it is amazing. You and I said this to each other multiple times over the last 24 hours. It's amazing when a team gets a quarterback, how much better they look. And then when that quarterback leaves, how much worse they look. And Trevor is a weapon outside the numbers. He has both the processing ability to throw with some anticipation, but also a great arm. He's got really long levers, like 6'6". And... The difference the the throws that really light your eyes up, whether they're, you know, deep down between the numbers or deep outside the numbers, like you said, far hash throws breaking away from him. the ability to drive the ball in the flat and get it there before a defender is not something every quarterback in this league can do. And like Doug Peterson knows he took the job for a reason. He had a quarterback. He's got a weapon that he can leverage. And he and Press Taylor have got to love drawing stuff up for that going. Nope. You know, if I had somebody else, I might not put this in the game plan, but we've got Trevor. It's going to work.
0: Uh, defensively speaking, stat that blew my mind when I saw it last night Jaguars played cover two 40% of the time in this game across all downs and distances. That wasn't just like a, oh, it's a third down and seven plus call where the Steelers also played cover two like 40% of the time. I'm talking across every down, every distance, cover two. Even the Bears in the mid2000s didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's an unhinged amount of cover two in one game. <laughs> but they did it for a reason because they know that uh, generally speaking, the Steelers offense is not going to complete the types of balls that will beat that type of game plan. There's kind of one way to do it, and uh, you know, you're you're hitting. Either whole shots on the sideline, which they Steelers do not really do that. You know, uh, again, Kenny Pickett, not the same arm as Trevor Lawrence. Not that he's a bad arm, but like you need to have a Howitzer to kind of complete that ball consistently. Uh, he doesn't have that, and uh, or or you can hit the middle seam, like right up the middle. And they tried to do it early, couldn't complete it to Deontay. Uh, it was actually a pretty decent throw from Kenny, but. You know, it's, if you're going to discourage a team from playing cover two, you got to hit that, you got to hit that throw and they just didn't hit it. And so Jacksonville's like, all right, we're just going to keep calling this. And it worked, you know, you're, you're getting guys in the flat. So you're taking away all the quick stuff outside the numbers uh, and, and 10 yards and under, which is like, if you're looking at the heat map for the Steelers where they pass, <laughs> it's there. Like they played cover two specifically so that they get flat defenders at all times. um, You know, we're gonna take away the the fades down the sideline to Pickens again by putting a safety over the top. Like this is an offense that doesn't work the intermediate middle area of the field. That's where that's where you attack cover two is the intermediate middle area of the field. Kenny only had 17 passes in that area of the field leading up to this game. They don't do it. So as far as defensive game plan goes like, yeah, you are going to call cover two that much. And it worked <laughs> like Matt Canada didn't adjust. Kenny Pickett Wasn't hitting the throws, the receivers. You know, I think they were struggling with the rain. They couldn't hold on to the ball at times. Like, it's just kind of not, not frust- or not uh, surprising to me, but still frustrating that it became very clear about a quarter and a half into the game, what Jacksonville was doing. And the Steelers were just like, well, we don't have an answer for this. <laughs> We're just we're not going to do any changes. We're not going to make any adjustments like I I don't know. They got us. Sorry, guys. That's the
1: Steelers offense this year, and it's incredibly frustrating to all their fans. It's incredibly frustrating to those of us that watch the game and go, okay, okay, (laughs) come on, man. Poke, poke, do something. And they don't. Uh, The Jags D clamped down on the offense overall. Mike Caldwell, again, came in with a plan and said, if you beat this, I'll pivot. They never beat it. Late in the first half, the Steelers had 22 yards of offense total. Like So when you say it worked, it didn't just work. Like They snuffed them out. They had no offensive production for basically the entire first half. Not going to win a lot of football games when that's the case. You'll win the occasional one where your defense scores on a pick six and you get a punt return for a touchdown. But if you're moving the ball 22 yards in two quarters, no, your your outlook is horrible. Horrendous. I don't care how good your defense is. They stopped the run. We said in the preview that Steelers are going to run no matter what. <laughs> they tried it. Uh, only seventy rushing on nineteen attempts. Like they tried it. They tried it almost twenty times. They got mm, oh, not quite eighty yards out of it like against cover two (laughs) eggs were more than happy with their athletes and that's the other reason they called what can call that coverage is they're stacked at linebacker they have three really good linebackers that can run on the inside so that's a key position in cover two and then they've got guys on the edges who sort of can moonlight as rushers if they need to Trayvon Walker is a very movable chess piece he can set an edge if he needs to and they did that. They waited for the Steelers to adjust. The Steelers didn't adjust and they said, cool, our offense is working. Yours isn't. We're going to keep doing this until you force us out of it. And the Steelers never did.
0: No word yet um, on the injury front for how long Minka might be out. If, if anything, again, hamstrings are finicky. So we don't have the information on that yet. If they don't have Minka, Minka, a a Steelers defense that has kept them in games all of a sudden might not be able to prop up this team as well as they have been this year. Again, they are second in takeaways. Jags are first, which so probably didn't <laughs> didn't help their cause. Uh, <laughs> but like the Steelers survive on TJ Watt doing something crazy and you know getting an interception as a hook zone defender in cover two or getting a strip sack like. That's how the Steelers win is the defense gives them either an outright score or a short field position so that the offense can score. Minka's a big part of that. So without Minka, we'll see if they can still stay in games long enough for fourth quarter Kenny to show up. And also Kenny himself, you know, he's dealing with the rib injury. Like we're not we're not a hundred percent sure if he's gonna be able to go on Thursday when they play against the Titans. Um, which we will we will get to the Titans in just a second, by the way. Speaking of that Thursday stream, we have a little something special for you guys. So if you're going to join us for the Steelers game on Thursday night, when we're doing the TNF stream against the Titans, uh, underdog gave us a little bit of a present for our audience. Cause I know a lot of you guys like to play along with us again. We're not sure if Kenny's going to be playing, but we do know that George Pickens is going to be out there. And George Pickens is really, really, really damn good. You only need George Pickens one of the best young receivers in the NFL, to get one yard. It's higher than half a yard receiving as a special for bootleg listeners. So if you're not already on Underdog, you can use the link in the description below. Use promo code bootleg. Not only will they match your deposit up to $500, but you also get access to that free George Pickens special. So uh, even if watching the Steelers offense overall is a mind-numbing experience, all we need is George Pickens to get a yard. And then we just stack the rest of the board with Titans and we're probably going to have a good night together. So I hope you guys join us for TNF where we're all going to be miserable together watching this team try to move the football. Uh, And, you know, if we need an underdog entry
1: to make the game entertaining, we do what we have to, EJ. We do. And this is going to help make it entertaining for a lot more folks because, hey, if you want to try and hit five out of five, you legitimately really only need four. If you want to try and hit four, you only need three. So... Big shout out to underdog first for supporting the show for the next couple of years, but also for giving us our very first branded opportunity to share it with all of you and say, hey, if you watch with us, you get this because you are part because you're bootlegger, because you're part of this community that we've built and we appreciate it and they appreciate you. They're passing that love on and we couldn't thank them enough.
0: Really do hope that you guys come by uh, on Thursday night. Uh, Spend your night with us. We're going to do our best to make this an entertaining game. You know, give as much live analysis as we can, uh, probably consume a shot or two of Malort, really just to numb the pain. (laughs) Actually, no, I think I need to save it for the Bears game the week after. So I'll save the Malort for (laughs) for the Chicago game in week 10. Uh, But either way, hope you guys join us for week nine TNF. Um, The other side of that coin, again, they are playing the Titans which is our second game we're going to talk about today because all of a sudden Tennessee is starting to look like a real football team. Um, Going into this week, I was looking at Steelers Titans and saying like, ah, Steelers probably got that in the bag. The Titans are really not a good, not a good club this year. And then we saw Will Levis and we saw the rejuvenation of Deandre Hopkins because of Will Levis. All of a sudden, I'm not not only am I not confident the Steelers are going to win that game, I'm fairly confident the Titans might just blow them out because like that, that looked like an entirely different team. We talk about how the fortunes of a franchise can change when all of a sudden you have competent quarterback play. That was more than competent quarterback play. That was fantastic quarterback play. And it came from the one quarterback prospect in this class that we thought might not be ready to play as a rookie. Will Levis gets his first start, and all of a sudden, he looks like by far the best quarterback on the team. My outlook for this franchise has entirely changed. Like That's a good defense in Atlanta. And Will Levis just carved them up. It was ruthless.
1: One reason and one reason only we're talking about this game. We talked about the fact at the top that there were six games. This probably would have been the discard game in a typical week. But... Huge caveat, Will Levis landed landed with a bang. It completely changed how the Titans looked and how we regard them because they have not looked like that all year. If you're a Titans fan, you know this. They have been a uh, unit not unlike the Steelers, right? Grinding defense, offense is hopefully going to get the running game going. Sound familiar? But in terms of passing game, nah, uh <laughs> Like, not a threat to most teams that they've played. Levis gets the start. As you said, we weren't sure we knew he was going to be a high variance prospect. We knew that he had tremendous physical skills, but in terms of doing all the things you need to do to play quarterback in the NFL, we weren't sure if he was going to be ready or when he was going to be ready. He looked real ready and he simplified it. He took all of that and turned it into one-on-one football with DeAndre Hopkins. One thing about Levis's performance, too, these were not dink and dunk throws that then Hopkins turned into big yak throws. He was second in the league this week with an average depth of target of 11.7. He was slinging it. These are not high percentage throws, but he made them look that way. And then this defense, oh boy, you give this defense a lead, they have no idea what that is for most of this year. And you get that defensive line pinning their ears back with a lead, or just basically a competent offense because this was an amazingly even game. We'll talk about the Falcons in a second, but if you look at all the statistics, this was back and forth, back and forth. Titans win it at the end, but that defense looked completely different knowing that their offense can score points. It's like removing the dagger from over their head you know, hung by a thread. Oh, if we (laughs) screw up once, if we give them an extra field goal, we're going to lose because our offense can't score any points. They turn around. Will Levis is chucking it up to D-hop for 65 yards and a touchdown. They're like, Oh, let's go. We can gamble a little and they can go get it back for us. Game changing, like franchise changing, like you said at the top. This is a completely different team when they can score points and Lev's provide points and bunches. This is the same Titans defense that got
0: uh or that forced the best at the time red zone offense in the entire league, Baltimore, into being like one for six in the red zone. Like the defensive line is dominant and this this game made Tennessee look a lot like Dallas in the sense that when Dallas is rolling, you know, you get a couple explosives early on, you know, you get a couple get a couple touchdowns, all of a sudden it's like 14 0, 14 3, something like that. And you let the Cowboys pass rush play downhill. Like Dallas as a program, um, you know, we call it a win harder team. Like when they're winning, they're just gonna win harder. Like Tennessee that's kind of how they're built now with Levis is you use his just unreal arm talent. You get a couple explosive plays, you get a couple quick scores, and then you let Henry do Derek Henry things and you'll get 22 carries, hundred yard game. Uh, You know, he kind of takes it over. You get a couple more explosives where you need them and then let the pass rush go to work. Like just give you, give your pass rush, like not even like 14 points, give him a 10 point lead and just say go, and they're going to do it. Like They absolutely eviscerated the Atlanta offensive line when they had to get into their drop-back pass game. They couldn't protect. like They flat-out couldn't protect. So this is the formula for Tennessee is you just take shots. You try to build an early lead. You play like the AFC version of Dallas, and that can work for them. It absolutely can work for them. Uh, Four or five days ago, You know, when they traded Kevin Byard, it was looking like, oh, here comes the fire sale. You know, (laughs) like we're not sure about Vrabel's job security. Uh, Everybody's going to get fired. They're going to reset the team. All it takes is one great, promising performance from a young quarterback who has a lot of talent to all of a sudden make everybody in Tennessee say, wait a minute, we're only a game out of the wild card. Hold on here. We can do something with this. You know,
1: <laughs> life's different if we can score. I mean, honestly, you're talking about a perfectly encapsulated look at the Titans, like BL before Levis, right? Yeah. Before this Levis start. That's what it looked like, and that's what we're talking about now with the trade deadline looming, and you're like, Man, if they could get like one speedy receiver, right? Or if, or if Burks get, like,
0: if Burks is just what we think Burks can be. Right, Burke you know, stays
1: healthy, or you get one more because again, we like Phillips and Chig both as really interesting, you know, versions of themselves in this offense, and they looked better with Levis. Seven catches between the two of them. D Hop's going to do D Hop things. If you get like one speedster, you can run out of the slot. Like if they could get a Savior worth bargain, yeah. I mean, but <laughs> think about like at the trade deadline. I mean, if you could get like a an Alec. Pierce type big slot that's just you're going to run them down the field run under those Levis rainbows right this team looks really formidable all of a sudden they couldn't score points before and now you're like man if you just add one more piece on offense and Burks gets healthy like this feels like a version like a budget version of the Bengals right all of a sudden, I mean a, a very to... very budget version but right. I I get it I get it Like we can explode a little bit on offense. We've got a defense that can stress you in certain areas. Again, they're not as complete on either side of the ball as the Cincinnati team. But like a week ago, we were ready to like start scraping out the bottom and and look at whether or not the foundation was rotten. And now we're like, huh. And that's how fortunes change when you get a spark at quarterback in this league. It is the most important position, one of the most important positions in all of sports. And it can turn literally an entire franchise. Again, Outlook was not sunny, and now we're talking about, hey, there's there's ways you could build around this.
0: I am genuinely very excited for our Thursday live stream for the TNF game this week because <laughs> I want to see him play again. Like I want to see him do that again. And I know I, and I, I am a Texans fan, so I admit I'm, I'm biased against Tennessee. But at the same time, I've I've lived through so many years of, of the AFC South being the worst division that if Levis works out and if Stroud keeps working out and if Anthony Richardson, when he comes back next year, if Anthony Richardson plays like what we think Anthony Richardson will play like based on early evidence before he got hurt and, of course, Trevor is Trevor, I mean, all of a sudden, the AFC South is the Thunderdome. Like, every single team will will be a, a fully armed and operational battle station with a young quarterback with ridiculous arm talent. Like that, this division could end up being utterly ridiculous by like 2025. And again, as an AFC South fan, I wish our path to the playoffs, or as a Texans fan, I wish our path to the playoffs would be a little bit easier. But at the same time, seeing a golden age for the division where all of a sudden it's not like one playoff team and a, and a bunch of nobodies, it's gonna be it's gonna be nice to see for the AFC South to all of a sudden be like the new NFC East. Like I think
1: there is potential
0: for the AFC South to be that good of a division.
1: Yeah, if you want to talk about fortune, though, Levis getting his second start against a Steelers defense, possibly without Minka. Yeah. <sighs> I, that's the thing with hammies. Hammies can be fickle,
0: right? And so and I Minka, in, in four days, like, I don't know if Minka's is going to come back at four days from a hammy.
1: Right. And Minka is the deep defender in that defense. Like we talked about Joey Porter Jr. and whether he'll get the other the start again, which they kind of better hope he does at this point because they need him. But Minka is the roamer back there he's the guy that covers up a lot of deep mistakes and levis suddenly again if you're going into this game and Tannehill was the opposing starting quarterback and you weren't playing mickey you'd be like i ah, you know i think we can i think we can hide that i think we'll be all right like i don't think we're going to get you with levis back there throwing bombs and no minka Ooh, you get yeah. real shaky as a pittsburgh defense real quick because a couple of those and you're down 14 with that offense as a steelers fan like like I said, they,
0: they have to rely on T.J. Watt being T.J. Watt or they just can't win those types of games. So I'm excited to see it again. Hope you guys come by on, on Thursday to to watch that game with us because I think there's going to be some really, really interesting storylines kind of no matter what happens. Um, I do want to have a, a, a quick discussion on the Falcons while we're here. Yep. <laughs> um Ritter is not working out, unfortunately, for Atlanta. Ritter has, really up to this point in his career, he's never had a performance like the one we just saw Levis have, where we're like, oh my God, they might have the guy. There's been some some flashes here and there. Um, there's been some solid, efficient days where it's like, he's not the reason they won, but he definitely didn't lose them the game either. Uh, or rather he's not the, you know what I'm trying to say? Like we're, you know, they, they won with him, but not necessarily because of him. Yep. Um, I never, I never felt like Desmond Ritter has had a game where he's like taken over and, you know, dropping bombs three times down the field. Like, like what we just saw Levis do. Uh, and I think when, when you put these two young quarterbacks on the field together, you see the difference, Right. Like There was a very clear difference between what Levis showed that he could be versus what Ritter has shown that he can be. So I think it's becoming very clear to to Falcons fans that they're going to have to go looking this offseason. But I will also say this. Arthur Smith's play calling should be equally criticized. And for a team that spent a top 10 pick on a running back, To give him 11 touches like Saquon, say what you want about, you know, Giants drafting and paying Saquon and spending all the resources they did on running back. They gave him 39 touches this week. At least they're using their super talented running back that they've invested all these resources in. That's three games worth of touches for Bijan at this point on average. Like they they're not using him. And when you get to the situational calls, this is what really pissed me off. (laughs) <laughs> second and five in the red zone you're taking Bijan off the field to put Janu smith as the running back in the backfield on like a pistol look so he's your backup tight end throwing a pass on second and five in the red zone to your third string tight end michael pruitt while your first string tight end kyle pitts another top 10 pick that you invested in a few years ago he's blocking for your backup tight end to throw to your third string tight end with Bichon off the field. What the fuck are we doing? Not that. (laughs) Why are you investing all these top 10 resources into a good young receiver and a good young tight end prospect and a phenomenal young running back prospect to give the running back 11 touches and to make that freakishly athletic tight end block while your other tight end is throwing a pat. Like what are we doing? Overall, I'm just very frustrated by this Falcons team because, yes, <laughs> they they can kind of only play in one way. But unfortunately, it's it's not a way that they seem willing to play right now, which is feed the ball to Bijan, you know, take a couple shots to to Drake London, take a couple shots to Kyle Pitts, really lean on the run game and and play defense like they they don't want to feed their best running back. They want to get super cute in the red zone because for whatever reason, I still don't understand why Arthur Smith is doing that. <laughs> and and they're putting their defense in in a tough spot where they they have to basically play perfect just to give their offense enough chances to score like 20 points. It's, it's tough. It's tough to be a Falcons fan right
1: now. Yeah, and we got to pour one out for one of my favorite players in the league, Grady Jarrett. He's out season ending the injury yesterday. Oh, was it season ending? Yeah. So one of my favorite interior defensive linemen in the entire league. Uh, Just another reason it's going to be a little tougher to root for the Falcons this year. Um, Love the way he plays. Love the difference he makes when he's in there. Wish him, you know, the speediest and least painful recovery possible. Hope he's back out there doing it because the Falcons are clearly a better team when he's on the field and he's not going to be there for the rest of the season
0: yeah man, I don't know. Falcons could still theoretically win the NFC South because it seems like nobody wants to win the NFC South this year true <laughs> but i I don't have any expectations for this team uh if they do make it i don't I don't have any expectations for them to make it past the first round like they're not explosive enough um they're they're not committed to the bit <laughs> of of being a a, a Bijan plus defense team. Like they're not committing to the one thing that I think they can do. And I, I just like you put them up against Philly right now and they would be food. They would be absolutely demolished. So uh, see you in 2024, I guess. And, and we'll see what, what moves they make at quarterback. Cause I think it's clear at this point that Desmond Ritter probably isn't the guy long-term. And if they can find I can't believe I'm saying this. If they can find their own Will Levis, we'll revisit the topic in 2024. But until further notice, I'm I'm kind of out. Not going to lie.
1: I'm kind of out. And they don't have that option on the roster right now. They don't. It's not the luxury of Tennessee who spent a couple of higher round picks on quarterbacks who were behind Tannehill so they could try that out if Tannehill got hurt or if those folks showed they were ready in practice. Like, Ritter was that guy for them. Like, they spent the mid-round pick on Ritter. And they tried him out a little bit at the end of last year, really went into this season saying, nope, he's our guy. And it hasn't really worked out for them. And, yeah, that puts them squarely in the one-third bucket of – don't have one looking for one
0: one thing really quick and then we'll get right back to the show we are smack dab in the middle of fall so it's crew next season and obviously quarter zip season two so if you find yourself in the market for one of those or really anything else check out our sponsor for today viore If you're watching the YouTube version of this show, I'm wearing one of their crews right now in burgundy, but they also have a variety of other colors and styles too. Their entire brand is all about creating clothes that you can either be active in or go out in. They have extensive activewear lines for both men and women, but also carry a ton of styles for the office or just lounging around the house and watching football. They make clothes for people of all sizes and body types, as evidenced by me, a bigger dude wearing this stuff right now, and the material quality of each garment is really, really good. Everything I have from Viore has been washed several times at this point, probably over 10 times each, actually, considering how often I wear it, and you wouldn't even know the difference. It still feels new to me. So I highly recommend checking out everything that Viore has to offer in their catalog just to see if anything fits your personal style. And if you do go through their selection at viori.com slash filmroom, that's V-U-O-R-I.com slash filmroom at the link in the description below. And if you find something you like, you can get 20% off your first purchase. And on any orders over 75 bucks, you'll get free shipping and free returns if you end up deciding it's not for you. That's a pretty good deal for first-time customers. So again, that's available at the link in the description below. Viori.com slash filmroom. Thank you again to Viore for sponsoring the show. And with that, let's get back to it. Uh, speaking of the Eagles, by the way, Eagles commanders, our third game of the day. I'm still trying to figure out Sam Howell. Like, I think Sam Howell has moments of brilliance. I mean, he he was drilling the ball at times uh, against a lot of these Eagles uh, zone coverages. You know, the receivers were were just beating the crap out of the Eagles corners and man coverage, which is why they had to play a bunch of zone in the first place. Like low key, the Eagles kind of got a problem at cornerback. Like Slay's had a couple turnovers, but he's given up a bunch of first downs in the first, uh, you know, seven, eight weeks of the season. Bradbury's given up five touchdowns already. Like Eagles got a problem at corner and the commanders have exploited that twice now uh Terry did whatever he wanted Jahan Dotson did whatever he wanted Sa- uh, you know Sam Howell again made some really 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 good throws and then he'll throw just an out of nowhere pick where you know completely sails it over a receiver and just throws it to Reed Blankenship like completely uncontested I'm like buddy <laughs> like your, your team is not good enough for you to be able to get away with that against the Eagles like you got to play a perfect game. And I still don't think we've seen Sam Howell play a perfect game. Um, you know, leading up to this, uh, to this game in particular, he was on pace to beat the sacks taken record in a season by 20 because he was holding the ball so damn long and just taking an unreal number of sacks and putting his team in bad positions. Um, you know, improved that this time around against Philly because he got it out in like 2.5. 6-1 seconds, I think, was the average time to throw. So he got it out quickly and took less sacks as a result. But there's still just like one or two plays a game that that is holding this team back. And unfortunately, I, I would argue it cost them the game this week. Um, so I'm still trying to figure out Sam Howell. I like him. I like the potential a lot. I think that the commanders are in a better spot with him than, say, Atlanta is with Ritter or Green Bay is with Jordan Love. But also that's not saying a whole lot because Ritter and Love are probably going to get replaced anyway this offseason. So I
1: he's good. I just can't tell how good, you know, I do know. And he reminds me a lot of another young Washington quarterback at one time, and that was Kirk Cousins. And we said a lot of the same things about Kirk Cousins when he was in Washington before he is, you know, Ascended to become what he's been with the Vikings, which has generally been better. But he would do that. He would make throws, and you'd say, "Man, there's something there." And then he would make a costly turnover or have a flat game, and you'd say, ah, "I'm just, I'm not sure how good he is." Like he's good when he's getting going, and so's Howell. Of course, Howell can run better than Cousins ever could. And Howell is still essentially a rookie. They didn't play him till late last year. He doesn't even have a full slate of starting games yet. Not not one full season of starts. He's getting there, and he's progressed a lot in the starts we've seen. So I'm fully intrigued, but I kind of want to set this one up in the way that you talked about the AFC South. Like, this is the NFC East, and this is going to be a fun one for years to come. This is a back-and-forth slugfest Two absolute gamers. Like, one thing about Howell... He's not giving up ever to anybody. He reminds me of Captain America in the first movie, right? I, I can do this all day. <laughs> like he, That many sacks, and he's still ripping it. Jalen on the other side, cool as a cucumber. We've seen him do that a lot, but this is ridiculous. The QBs threw 90 times in this one. 9 for 716 yards and 8 TDs. Like This was absolute bombs away stuff and despite that and two great defensive lines we've we've talked at length about how good the philly defensive line is and really how good their second string is how much washington counts on their you know killers up front only three total combined sacks recorded that's ridiculous <laughs> like in 90 dropbacks, only three sacks with those two defensive lines and the one pick you talked about it's a bad throw to blanket ship, but literally you're airing it out 90 times. There was one interception in this game. It was Howell's. Like, you're right. He did need to play a perfect game because the commanders are not as good as the Eagles. He played a near perfect game with not a full season of starts yet. I am fully intrigued by Howell. I want to see him continue to develop because, yeah, there are some head scratchers in there. There were some other ones that could have been dropped. But if you are going toe-to-toe with a power, not only in your division, but in your conference, and you basically take them to the bell. You're a really solid young quarterback. I'm
0: just happy that they got uh, Jahan Dotson involved. Like that's, that, that's a win for me, even though he was on my bench. Yeah, I'm just happy that they acknowledged that he existed and that they're willing to throw to him. I've been waiting for it all year. So, you know, baby steps, baby steps. Um, on the other side, if there was going to be a campaign, so to speak, for uh, a receiver to win MVP this year, you could argue it's AJ Brown. I mean, yeah, what that's he a, is doing—that's a one-horse is, campaign. <laughs> I, I, Dolphins fans would step in and say, "Well, what about Tyreek?" Like, you're correct. Like Tyreek's also been incredible. Um, but in terms of consistent incredibleness, if that's a word. I mean, AJ Brown just set the all-time record for most consecutive games with a hundred and twenty-five plus yards at six. Like he just edged out Megatron. Even Megatron never went on the run that AJ's going on right now. He's on pace to uh, to to beat the single season single season uh, yardage record. He's five yards off the pace for 2K, you know, which is the goal that Tyreek obviously set this year, but AJ's on pace for it he's been incredible. He's been unstoppable. He's been the most dominant physical force at receiver in the entire NFL. And also uh, side note, poor Emmanuel Forbes put him out there for five coverage snaps in the entire game. And in five snaps, he gave up two catches for 45 yards and a touchdown to AJ Brown. So um, that picks going well, <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll leave it at that. Um, but Uh, Just sticking on the topic of AJ specifically. I don't think there's an answer for him right now. I really don't. I, I like when I look at dominant weapons in the National Football League, he is at the very, very top of the list.
1: This is not a surprise either. Like teams have known this even coming into this year. It's not like he's suddenly ascended and people are scrambling to try and catch up. They knew what he was last year. And they've tried it all. People are like, why don't they try and stop They are trying to stop him. They are putting caps over the top. They are doubling him. They're trying to beat him up. You can't stop him. You can't even really hope to contain him, to paraphrase an old ESPN tagline. Eight for 130 and two TDs in this one. You talked about the historic record six with more than 125. There is nothing you can do against him. He is going to beat you. So Forbes or otherwise, like I feel bad that Forbes got tossed aside by the train, but so did every other barricade that he's blown through in most of this season. And what feels crazy to me to say about this is, oh, yeah, and about Devonta Smith throwing up an extra hundo and a TD, seven for 99 and a touchdown. (laughs) Like, we're just going to throw that in as a side note. Like, oh, yeah, and the second guy got 100 yards and a TD, too. Yeah, we weren't going to mention it, but like, that's ridiculous. About that. <laughs> that's what this offense is. But AJ is on a platform by himself right now. Everybody's trying everything to stop him, and he's just brushing it aside. He is at a level of, don't you know who I am? And then going out and backing it up. And it's really impressive to see. And you're probably not going to see it again. I don't really care how long you watch football. Like, it's going to be another eight to ten years until somebody goes on a run like this because there's just so many variables in the NFL to go on a string like this or the one that we're going to talk about with CMC. It's rare stuff.
0: He is one of the driving forces of the Eagles season this year, and why you could argue that he's an MVP candidate is because the Eagles still haven't played their best game, you know, um, I would say defensively, they've been very reliant on a dominant pass rush. And when that pass rush doesn't get home as often uh, again, their corners are a vulnerability and they, I think that they're really lacking horses in the secondary. I mean, that's why they traded for Kevin Byer in the first place is, is they could sense that their secondary was a weakness and that they were very reliant on their D line, kind of doing all the work. Uh, both to stop the run and the pass. And, you know, so that's caused some problems for them. You know, obviously the turnovers on offense, which have been mostly, I don't want to say fluky, but kind of random, um, you know, they, they've they lost a lot of possessions due to those. And so the Eagles haven't played still to the, like they had a, a turnover on, on the brotherly shove on the goal line. Like they still haven't played a perfectly clean game and yet they're still winning virtually every single week because of the dominance of AJ Brown and, and how he's able to, to bail them out of really bad spots and give them explosive plays and give them extra red zone possessions. And, you know, he, he, along with that defensive line has, has kept the boat afloat while they kind of got themselves together and got themselves collected. Um, Whenever, the Eagles finally do a play do play a clean football game. I can only imagine how good they're going to be, but until then AJ Brown himself singularly has been so good that
1: he's kind of held them up. It's an amazing amount of leverage to be placed on one player. They've been leaning on AJ Brown to just be that sort of lighthouse off in the distance that they can follow when the rest of the offense is kind of wandering around and, they're making it work. And yeah, if they start hitting on all cylinders, they're already pretty close. But if they start hitting on all cylinders, they'll be incredibly tough to stop. I mean, they already are. Like you said, they're winning almost every week as is, and they still haven't topped out.
0: When it comes to uh, teams that are operating on all cylinders, by the way, thank you very much for the alley for the transition on that one, EJ. I, I do what I can. Cincinnati Bengals, uh, they are. Fully back to being the Bengals, the team that we all know and love or know and fear. If you're another AFC fan, Um we have seen flashes of Joe Burrow, you know, kind of getting back to what we know Joe Burrow to be, you know, hypermobile, you know, very escapable in terms of getting out of sacks that he absolutely should not get out of, uh, you know, making deadly throws on the run, being incredibly accurate, being cold blooded under pressure. Like we've, it, it, through the last two or three games, we've seen progressively more and more of that come out. This was the first time that we've seen it for a full game. Where it is 100% serial killer Joe is back. Just that cold, efficient, bloodthirsty machine that he is. Um, like, he's back. Like I, I, that's That's the main note here, is that Joe Burrow is Joe Burrow again. The rest of the AFC is on notice like the Bengals are once again one of the three best teams in the conference and uh, I will hear
1: no arguments to the contrary underestimate them at your peril the Bengals are on the hunt and if you think of them as anything else right now you're going to get got you're going to get eaten. There's, mm-hmm. there's just no other way to look at it. Joe is healthy and sharp, like fully healthy and fully sharp. You talked about efficiency. He was 28 of 32 His adjusted completion percentage was 88% yesterday that like <laughs> in terms of throwing the ball that often and almost being at 90% adjusted completion percentage with three TDs and he's hitting the long ball to chase. And that was the one thing we said all year was he's not hitting it. People are blaming stuff on it. This offense is completely different when he hits that play. Everything else opens up. This is the key that opens the lock to the Bengals' offense. Runs to Mixon, no problem. You can't sit on him because you got to go deep if he's hitting the deep ball to chase. And he couldn't when he was hurt. Throws to the tight end? Question mark. Herb <laughs> Smith has been there. Like they've had good tight ends in the past, Hayden Hurst and Uzoma, but like Herb Smith has been a—he's been on a milk carton for the entire season. Suddenly. No, there's space underneath. We're going to throw some balls to Irv Smith. Cool. Shots to T. T. Higgins showed up in this one as well. Kind of like we mentioned Devonta last game. T. Higgins was back in it. Why? Because everybody was like, what do we got to do to stop one? One's just killing us. T's like, yo, I got single coverage. (laughs) Yak to Tyler Boyd. The list goes on. Like everything else opens up when Burrow to Chase opens up down the field, not the little stuff that they were hitting while he was coming back and couldn't drive the ball and couldn't move in the pocket. Burrow ran in this one smartly. Like, we love quarterbacks running when it's wise, and when they gave him the opening, Burrow took it 43 yards rushing. He was the second leading rusher for the Bengals in this one, and he did it smart. He didn't take huge shots. Like, whatever you're going to give him, I don't care who it is on that offense. He is back to being able to take it and just take your soul at the same time and you stack Anarumo's defense on top of that, look out.
0: I mean, with Anarumo's defense, which as far as defensive coordinators go, if I need one offense to die in particular, and I get two weeks to prepare for it, and I want to choose my defensive coordinator to put together one game plan to beat one specific offense when I absolutely need to, it's Lou. And Brock Purdy, I mean, Purdy didn't get embarrassed in this game, but he did have a couple embarrassing picks that that were the difference, honestly. Like, it was back-to-back plays of interceptions. And, like, the game was close. Like, it was a back-and-forth kind of slugfest, uh, you know, defensive slugfest. And then, you know, Bengals defense got Brock on back-to-back plays. Like, Pratt made an insane play on what probably should have been a touchdown to CMC. Uh, and and he just like reached a paw out there and tipped it to himself, and then uh, Logan Wilson got him on the, on the very next play, which was a combination of Logan Wilson making a great play and also Brock just brain short circuiting and just staring it down and inviting Logan to go get the ball over the middle. Uh, and then there was another, there was a third pick that uh, Mike Hilton got late in the game in Cover Two, where Hilton was playing uh, a, a hook zone and and knew that a receiver was going to be replacing the pole runner in the middle, like just jumped it because he knew that Brock was going to throw it. And of course it got called back on a rough in the passer. That was questionable. Um, So I'm going to count that as like three turnover worthy plays from Brock, which for a team as good as the Bengals, if even if you're mostly good, the rest of the day, if you have three turnover worthy plays against that defense, you're going to lose. Like they're gonna beat the shit out of you if you give them extra possessions. So that's kind of what happened. I think there's I think there's gonna be a strong reaction in the media to all of a sudden jump on the ah, see Purdy turn back into a pumpkin narrative. And I I don't necessarily think that's accurate. No. Because I I think if if your expectations for Purdy was already like oh he's a top eight quarterback in the league. I knew he was trash. Like if you're if you're jumping that wildly from like top eight quarterback to oh no he's bad, all of a sudden or at least to me, that's operating on two extremes that are both equally wrong. I think if you're operating on the Purdy is like somewhere between twelve and sixteen, and he just happened to have a not perfect day that's really kind of am i making sense here like i think that's where the narrative should be of like we don't think any less of purdy overall when it comes to where he stands in the quarterback hierarchy while also acknowledging that he didn't have a good enough game to beat a really good team in cincy and i I think the takes are going to be too reactionary where all of a sudden people are going to be like see i told you he's a bottom 10 quarterback when it's like no he's not a bottom 10 quarterback he just didn't have a great game
1: we just spent a lot of time talking about how good lou anarumo is and he had a game that was good enough to win on most days against a lou anarumo defense this is like one of those weeks where you score a bunch of points in fantasy but the guy you're going up against scores more and you're Mm -hmm. like man i had my best week it was not purdy's best week but he easily passed for enough yards and the two plays we talked about like i want to spend some time talking about wilson and pratt because they are a dynamic duo and have been since the end of last year in that louisiana remo defense at middle linebacker and the wilson pick was really interesting he made purdy throw it he floated just far enough out of the screen on purpose you could see him leaning right and then he flashed back left cuz purdy didn't think he'd do it he Thought he'd keep floating right. The Pratt one was ridiculously athletic, possibly the shortest flight travel distance interception in the history of the sport. It went like five (laughs) feet, but both of those guys had really good games. Again, this is not a flash in the pan and they arguably outplayed Warner and Greenlaw who are widely considered to be the top inside linebacker tandem in the league. Well, Wilson and Pratt might have something to say about that because they've played consistently really, really well. And those were the game turning plays. Without those plays, very possible that Purdy wins this game. Like, it would have been closer at least. And speaking of dynamic duos who don't get a lot of, well, I'll just say press. Hendrickson and Hubbard, the rushers in Anarumo's defense. Like, they continue to produce and get pressure in big moments. They both had a higher pressure percentage than Bosa yesterday because they rushed on less snaps. And Bosa had a great game. This is nothing against Nick Bosa. He was a force yesterday. Hendrickson and Hubbard both had higher pressure percentages than Bosa and they get zero press. So Anarumo is, again, flipping all the right levers. He's got a defense full of athletes. We already talked about the, a- the athletes on offense. We know about those guys. They've got all the name recognition and you sort of fuse those two together. The Bengals are not the same team they were six weeks ago. Like start over, like white the whiteboard. Game plan for them differently because they're coming. They are one of the top teams right now in the AFC. I would say they're a top three team in the AFC without question, and they're going to be there at the end. And as long as Burrow stays healthy, they can beat just about anybody.
0: I also want to give a, another note specifically on Bosa. You mentioned that he had a, a good day. Um, I've been seeing a lot of consternation on Niners Twitter, which – Historically, Niners Twitter absolutely a sane <laughs> place with a bunch of rational takes, um, but still, I, I've I've seen uh, some prominent 49ers fans in the in the Twitterverse say Ah, Bosa got paid and then he disappeared. What? Like huh? what? What are we talking? He's fifth among edge rushers in in pass rush win rate. He's fourth in pressures. He's got. 5 sacks, he's on pace for a double digit sack season, but he's top 5 in like every single pass rush metric. Like if he had, this is he had disappearing, nine, like he had what's 9 pressures yesterday? That was second, he's tied for second in the league. I know, like, but people people are like, "Ah, well, they, they didn't get any sacks against Minnesota. They say, ah, he didn't get home when he needed."
1: He got 9 pressures. <laughs> like, okay, this, we're we're going to take it. Short pause because we're not talking about this game, but I have to talk about the stat. I can't go a whole podcast and not talk about the stat.
0: Wait, can I take a guess of what it is? Sure, go ahead. Dexter Lawrence with
1: 14. 15. Oh, is it 15 now? Do they do a stat correction?
0: Dexter Lawrence,
1: interior defensive lineman for the Giants, had 15 pressures yesterday. Like pressures for interior defensive linemen. Generally lower than other positions because they are running into somebody one foot away from them. Every play. Dexter Lawrence had 15 pressures yesterday. The next highest total in the league was Nick Bosa and a bunch of other guys at nine. And those are edge rushers. Dexter Lawrence (laughs) is a fucking defensive tackle. tackle. (laughs) Like that's honestly, there are a lot of crazy stats yesterday. That is easily far and away. The most deranged stat from NFL Sunday yesterday was Dexter Lawrence with 15 pressures. That's unheard of. That's just unreal numbers. For many, many years,
0: um, we, we've always heard people, well, at least people of a certain age, you know, I'm a millennial. So I, I remember what Albert Hainsworth looked like when Albert Hainsworth cared. And there's yep. so many people that's like, what would Albert Hainsworth have been if he cared after he got paid? The answer is Dexter Lawrence. Like, Dexter Lawrence is what Albert Hainsworth should have been. And he might be better. Like,
1: that's terrifying. Should be. He's ridiculous. Okay. Back to our previously scheduled program. But there was (laughs) no way I was going an hour not talking about Dexter Lawrence doing unreal superhero stuff.
0: Overall, I just want to caution people against uh, having too many hot takes about the 49ers. And I say that as somebody who literally, in September predicted that they could go on a slide midseason. Like I looked at the schedule starting from the Cowboys through the Jags game and September 4th, I think is when I put out the tweet and I got roasted relentlessly by Niners Twitter. Again, very sane, rational place uh, for saying that, that they could go one and four in that stretch because I wasn't sure about their roster depth and I, I thought that they were kind of top-heavy in terms of relying on stars being stars, and they don't have the depth to survive injuries, uh, especially in the offensive line. Well, Trent's out. they were given up a lot of pressure because their offensive line depth isn't very good. I'm not bitter. I understand they were just protecting their team. But uh, I, e- even even me, who <laughs> predicted a slide, I want to caution people against having too strong of a take against the 49ers after this game, because they're going to be fine. Like my prediction wasn't the 49ers are a bad team. They're going to miss the playoffs. They're not like they're going to be there in January. They're going to be fine. My prediction was the 49ers are going to have a slide, which is going to open the door for Seattle to take the division. Well, guess who's in the lead of the division right now, Seattle. So again, I think, San Francisco will be totally fine. If you told me that they're going to make the NFC championship game, even after losing three straight, maybe four straight, if they go down to Jacksonville and lose, I would believe it. So I'm not anti 49ers. I don't think they're cooked. I don't think they're done. No, I just think that there are real tangible problems with this team that needs to be addressed because the roster depth isn't there. And when they're missing Debo and when they're missing Trent or when CMC gets dinged up and has to leave a game early, they don't have the depth to survive that. So really the 49ers, how far they go this year will just depend on, on how healthy they are. Like that's,
1: that's kind of is what it is to me. Yeah. And we would be remiss if we didn't mention CMC's record tying day ties Lenny Moore's all time record for consecutive games with a TD at 17. Talk about rare stuff. Lenny Moore played a long time ago. He's even before my time. And I know people think I'm ancient. Getting traded to the Niners is the best thing ever for CMC's career. Like, the mm-hmm. tear he has gone on since he got to San Francisco, he was really teetering with the Panthers. Couldn't stay healthy. He had great, I don't want to say flashes, long, prolonged stretches of dominance, and then be removed due to injury. And he had a really sort of questionable rep. Even when he got traded, people were like, wow, they gave up all that. He's so injury prone if he's not in, like, since arriving back in the Bay Area, just an absolute historic record tying tear. Like it, there is nothing better that could have happened to CMC than getting traded to a Shanahan offense and having Shanahan go, Oh, buddy, I got just the thing for you. I know exactly mm. what I'm going to do with you. It's a reminder of how good
0: of a player he was also in Carolina, like before the injuries mm-hmm. kind of knocked out, well, like three years, basically. Yep. He was like at least two, might've might been two and a half, three years that we kind of just didn't really get to see a hundred percent CMC because of a bunch of different things that just kept stacking. Oh, I just nailed my keyboard. Uh, but a bunch <laughs> of different things that are just kind of stacking on top of each other injury wise, like it was soft tissue or his ankle or, you know, and, and all of a sudden he gets a healthy, Streak in San Francisco, and it's a nice reminder of like, oh, yeah, he's like one of the best weapons in the entire league at any position. That's right. I forgot about that. But you know, it's it's hard to imagine. We forgot that Christian McCaffrey's good, but we kind of forgot that Christian McCaffrey's good. And then he went to San Francisco, and is like, oh, okay, yeah, no, he's he's elite. He's an all pro.
1: It's so. What have you done for me lately? League uh, to the extreme exactly what you were talking about with the takes for purdy like purdy was at the top of the mountain three games ago and now people invariably again it's monday morning we haven't heard them all but they're coming like brace yourself those takes are coming kick purdy go looking for a quarterback trade for one at the deadline i wouldn't be surprised if i heard that today which is absolute garbage like don't get sucked into those extremes. But with CMC, like we just hadn't seen it in a long time. Injuries had robbed us of that. And there was real question marks about is his career going to continue? And if so, is he going to be a prosperous player? Well, I think we answered those questions. Uh,
0: In terms of teams that are going to be active at the trade deadline, the next team we talk about better be because uh, the Chiefs just lost to the Broncos for the first time in What? 17 18 games something in that ballpark it's yeah it's been a while ej it's been a long long time since the broncos have knocked off the chiefs and if if anything was going to convince you that the chiefs are going to trade for a receiver at the deadline it's that game like they they need a new receiver like i need oxygen okay Mm -hmm. it's It's a bad situation. Like Skymore has not worked out. Kadarius Toney, that trade in terms of what they gave up for him hasn't worked out. Uh, You know, I, I would say Rasheed Rice has a lot of potential, and we've seen a bunch of juice from him in terms of yards after the catch. But this team severely lacks a vertical element. And I think you can get by on being a yak based offense like you absolutely can. They did it last year. They won the Super Bowl as a yak based offense. But even last year, they still at least could threaten going vertical like they still could at least throw the ball down the field when they absolutely needed to. They can't do it this year. They're 21st in completion percentage on uh, passes of 20 plus yards down the field with Patrick Mahomes, a quarterback. It's one touchdown to seven interceptions they can't go vertical and you know when your entire passing game is basically like Travis go get open and then make something happen after the catch or Rasheed we're going to give you the ball within five yards of the line of scrimmage please just go be a crazy athlete and, and burn <laughs> pursuit angles if that's your passing game there's only so much you can do with that and I I don't know what the chiefs are going to do, but they got to do something like they have to get an explosive vertical element because they don't have it right now. And the one dimensional passing game that they've been enduring for two months, like it's a miracle that they're even in contention for, for first seed. And that's a credit to how good this defense has been and how good Patrick Mahomes is because a lesser defense and a lesser quarterback combined with this receiving core might be like 2-5 and five right now, and I, I'm not exaggerating. Like That's how dire the situation is.
1: You'd be looking at a team that looked a whole lot more like the Steelers than you'd want to think it does. Yep. You'd be looking at a dominant defense, which the Chiefs defense has been this year. You would be looking at an offense that largely cannot get out of its own way. Does not have a ton of efficiency in the run game and does not have, does not even have like a Pickens to whip it down the sideline to or a Deontay Johnson who can separate. And look, people are going to say Mahomes had the flu. True. He did. He was dehydrated. His flu game wasn't quite like MJ's. He just looked off. But given that, it's ridiculous. He's still impossible. His movement in the pocket was so good yesterday. He avoided a bunch of yeah probably should have been sacks absolutely he hits guy more in the hands in the end zone like he can't catch it for him he literally (laughs) hit an amazing throw too right so he was still there despite having the flu like the flu just brought him down to a very good normal quarterback level as opposed to a it's patrick mahomes he can do whatever he wants level i'm with you on the receiver depth and our buddy who runs kcsn bj kissel said something on on twitter yesterday that um It reminded me that it's probably yes, and in terms of trading for a receiver. He said, I don't think a receiver is going to fix all the things that are wrong with this offense. Yes, they need one, but the other can be true. And I'm just going to put it out there. I feel like they miss Eric bien influence. You can talk about whether or not he was calling plays or not, whether it was his offense or Andy's or not. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm saying he had an influence in that room and whether that was counter to Andy's or whether that pumped up Andy's little ideas into big, good ideas, whatever it was, he was stirring that offense as the offensive coordinator for a long time. He was having input and their offense was able to overcome some things, personnel challenges, a shift from the league really adapting to their favorite play and shutting it down. And they were still able to win. They're still able to go to the Super Bowl this year. EB out of the building, Yeah, they need a receiver. They need a vertical threat there. I don't think there's any question about that, and I don't think any Kansas City Chiefs fans would question that either. But I don't think that's it. I don't think that would solve it. I think they need to find some other things, too, because they do not have plays to hang their hat on other than Travis go get open, which is one of the best options in NFL history. Other than that, in the running game, are are they a power running team? Are they like the Eagles? Can they just, you know, Gut up and run people over sometimes, like it's not <laughs> the thing they're when playing, they're, you know, <laughs> right? It's not the thing that when they're teetering, they can go, Oh, 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 wait, we've got our thing besides Mahomes to Kelsey. And if on days like yesterday that doesn't work for one reason or another, you end up with a result where you can get upset by a team that we have to talk about. We have to talk about the Broncos. We're, we're spending all the time talking about the Chiefs, and they lost this one, but the Broncos. Uh, you know, <laughs> Broncos didn't do a lot of traditional things to win it. If we're talking about their offense, they had 87 net passing yards and they won. That's very Tebow-esque. There's no other way to describe that. 3.7 yards per play on offense and they won. Oh, okay like they did they did run the hell out of the ball which was impressive and fun to see Javante did all the pounding 85 yards per carry at only 3.1 per again Kansas City defense came to play and Javante tied for second league yesterday with missed tackles forced of five he's still that guy he's always been that guy it's good to see him back healthy and then Jaleel did all the slashing 33 yards at 8.2 per pop so it was bang, bang, bang with Javante and then bring Jaleel in to get some yardage. Judy and Sutton, speaking of frustrating receiver combos, Judy and Sutton might be one of the most frustrating receiver duos in the entire league between the drops and the OPI. I could hear the Denver fans screaming at my house. Like they just are not two receivers that reliable that, yeah, that many other teams lean into and go, those are our guys. Like I, I think everybody kind of holds their breath when they get a ball thrown their way. And and it doesn't seem like they should be that based on talent, both talented guys, but in terms of how they fit in this offense and how they produce, it's maddening that it's, you can it, come away with 87 net yards passing with those two guys as your receivers.
0: It's become very clear over the last two seasons, right? We have to go back to 2021 for, the last solid data points on it but over the last 2 years because of Tim Patrick not being there and what their passing game looks like without Tim Patrick yeah like it's obvious that he was the flex seal of of this team like he <laughs> held that shit together
1: yeah he was great i was so sorry that he went down with injury and i i didn't predict that that loss would do this to their offense overall but yeah you're right in hindsight you look back and you go who really doesn't look so good without that when they needed a play,
0: like, you know, it's third and seven, we got to go win. Like we, we got to make a crazy catch on the sideline to keep this drive going. Like Tim Patrick did that. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm especially guilty of this. Cause I was a, a big Cortland Sutton guy coming out in the draft and like, Me I too. and he has had so many moments early in his career where we're like, Oh, Cortland's going to be a guy. Right. And I, I think I was so naive that I was like, oh, well, even without Tim Patrick, like Cortland can fill that role. Like you just feed him a couple more targets on third down. He catches everything. You know, he's going to be their sideline guy. It's like, no, he's just he's not as good at it as Tim Patrick was. Like he's I've, I've been waiting for Cortland with all these opportunities to step up and like be the wide receiver one. And it didn't happen, and so it's like, okay, well, Jerry, step up. You be the wide receiver one. They spent a first round pick on you. You're you're coming out with all this physical ability. You're super quick. You're super fluid. Like you should be the guy that gets open on every single third down, and he's not doing it either. So it's almost like that that meme from Office Space, where it's like, what would you say you do here? But it's for both of them, and meanwhile, like this ultra explosive young kid on the bench, Marvin Mims, you and I are begging for them to get him involved and see if that works. Because it's not is, working with the other guys.
1: Yeah, this is Sean Payton's Arthur Smith moment. If we're gonna trash Arthur Smith for his play calling, we need to trash Sean Payton for his usage a little bit. Like free Greg Dulcich. You you've called Dulcich a moose multiple times. One catch for three yards on two targets in this game. Like he's a weapon he's back he's healthy. Use the poor guy. Marvin Mims one catch for zero yards on one target by number, literally one of the most explosive receivers in the league in terms of explosive play rate, like not just for rookies. He's easily the most explosive rookie depending on minimum number of targets because that would exclude him because they don't use him, but in the entire league and you're using those guys on a day when you couldn't generate any passing yardage at all, you have a total of three targets between those two guys that you've invested Mm -hmm. decent picks in and seen returns from when you did throw it to them. And as far as Sutton and Judy, I feel like they're both twos and they both desperately need a one. Like, I feel like both those guys would be better if they were put in the proper slot, but they have both kind of been vying for like, okay, who's going to step up and be number one? The answer is neither of you. You're not built for it. feels a little bit. Judy feels a little bit like Hollywood Brown for me did in Baltimore. Like, hey, man, you could be a really good number two. I don't think you have everything you need to be a number one, but you're a good receiver and you have lots of skills that we would like to leverage. But we can't just lean on you and say you're the guy because they did that in Baltimore over and over again. It just never showed up. And I feel like we've already kind of run that course in Denver. And, man, do they need to go get a one.
0: It's frustrating. Yes. It's very frustrating. Um, Luckily, this draft class provides uh, a lot of names that they can pick out of that hat to maybe get a one, a true one. Uh, Depending on how high they pick, we'll see. To me, um, the real story of this game, beyond the Broncos offense still being the Broncos offense and somehow winning, is the Broncos defense stepping up and not being the Broncos defense. And I mean that in a positive way.
1: (laughs) Weird, right? Like, of all the things that happened, there were a lot of things that happened on Sunday that were, very surprising. This was obviously the most umbrella overall surprising result of the day. Broncos knock off the Chiefs. But the biggest part, I think you're right, is that the defense looked uncharacteristically solid.
0: It was a well-called game by by Vance Joseph, and we have been very critical of him this year. Very Indeed. critical. But he understood the assignment, or more accurately, he understood the limitations of the Chiefs and played into that. Right. So a lot of man coverage on first down specifically. And it's, again, stylistically, the type of man coverage they were running on first down was was against very specific looks. You know, it was either uh, when they were kind of in like the full house stuff. And so they wanted to, uh, you know, when you're in full house, and you got three guys in the back in the backfield with Mahomes. They can kind of send numbers at you in any direction instantly and so at that point you just call man coverage because you're like this is your guy this is your guy this is your guy like we're not gonna we're not gonna pot- potentially gonna get busted here by trying to have a whole bunch of zone defenders sort out three dudes in the backfield so they called man coverage into that and it worked they called one cross uh, on early downs to protect the intermediate middle of the field and it worked you know protect themselves against all the travis kelsey stuff but then on third down, they didn't play man coverage. On a third down, they were very zone heavy, a lot of quarters, a lot of quarter, quarter half, uh, some appearances situationally by cover two, because they didn't want Mahomes' legs to, to bail out the Chiefs, like Mahomes has done so much against teams that run man on third down. You know, when everybody's back's turned and, and Mahomes just takes off and and converts it anyway, and and you know, okay, let's re-rack this thing and go again. Like nope, they played zone. Eyes were on Mahomes constantly, um, and they were going to force him to to find Travis through traffic. Like that's literally what what the game plan was. Um, the first pick that Mahomes threw in this game, it was against cover two, where uh, the hook zone defender. And I mean, he's seen Travis run benders against cover two a lot, right? <laughs> oh, like, that's like what they do. And so, okay, he read outside release from Travis. He knew that he had help in the flat. He knew that he had help over the top of the boundary. So like his one job was to not get too wide and to then just float back inside underneath the one route that Travis likes to run against cover two, at least in that situation, he's going to bend it back, right? He's going to try to find that, that hole in between the hook zone defender and the pole runner that's kind of guarding the the deep intermediate. Like they're going to try to hit that one little gap in the seam. And so he just let Travis go outside fully knowing that behind him, he was going to come back. And then he just, he, he broke on it like with full confidence. He broke on it because they knew what the chiefs were going to do against a cover two look like they weren't going to try to fit in a whole shot uh, to Rasheed rice down the boundary. Like they weren't going to, attack it with their running backs doing like all the, all the catch and run stuff like Travis's answer or or Pat's answer against cover two is we're going to hit the seam to Travis. And so hooks on defender just broke on it, knew the ball was going to be there, threw it right to him interception. And that speaks to how well prepared this defense was by Vance Joseph to play against the chiefs. It also speaks to how predictable the Chiefs offense is. But I want to give credit to Coach Joseph for having his guys ready and executing a flawless game plan. Like everybody did their job. You know, Baron Browning did his job. Sertan did his job. McMillian did his job. Like everybody showed up. And it's the first time all year,
1: truthfully, that I can say that about the Broncos defense. And uh, it's it's refreshing linebackers did their job as well singleton had some big plays in this one everybody was physical with travis every week we say why are you letting him get open they were physical with him early and the refs let him and they just kept at it everybody Mm -hmm. was tugging at him poking at him like he got very little free run in this one and it showed because his overall result not anywhere near his you know the good game is well over 100 yards a touchdown touchdown bunch of first downs and the bad game is like 48-ish average yards and this was like 58 but again the impact was very very similar to the games when the Chiefs can't get rolling and Vance had his guys ready uh maybe (laughs) at this level certainly for the first time all season I was gonna say maybe all season they've played some other okay games but nothing like this and as a result and this is the second most ridiculous statistic of the day. It's actually probably the first, but we're bringing it up second, so I'm going to call it second. This is Mahomes' first ever divisional road loss. I'm just going to say that and like let it bounce off the walls a little bit. Cuz Mahomes has been playing a long time now, and he's never lost to an AFC West opponent on the road ever. Like ever. That's In what is six, wait, hold on, 18,
0: 19, 20, 20, 20, 20, 21, 22,
1: was it six years, right? It's bonkers, right? Because he didn't play the first year, so he didn't really have, you know, games on the road that year, but he was riding a 16 or 17 game streak. I think this was 17. So he's riding a 16 game winning streak on the road against everybody that he plays twice a year. I mean, once on the road, obviously, these are the road games. Never lost to a divisional opponent on the road. That's that's remarkable. Like it, it's just a stat you hear, and you go, "That wait, they didn't say, did, did they say?" you think <laughs> they, they said that he's never lost within his own division, away from his own stadium, ever. And the answer up until yesterday was yes. That's that's just you're speaking of things you're not going to see again no quarterback's going to start four or five years into his career and be like, no, I've never lost to a divisional opponent on the road. What do you mean?
0: Like Roethlisberger did it to Cleveland, but it's not like he did it to Cleveland, Baltimore (laughs) and Cincinnati. Right. Like that's insane.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I said that to people yesterday, you included, and you were like, wait, he has, are are you sure? I'm like, actually I am like that. It's, it's a, it's a stat that is unhinged. doesn't seem based in reality at all. Um, so congratulations to the Broncos. I realize there has been a lot of um, there's been an outpouring of emotion because not only was the streak against the against the Chiefs just really long overall, but to end a bitter rivals, you know, unparalleled historical start against, you know, divisional games uh, on the road is um, to say Broncos fans are happy this morning is a wild understatement.
0: I, I haven't watched Brandon Perna's video yet, but as soon as we end this and I'm starting the export, I'm going <laughs> to throw that on. I, he's uh, earned it. He's earned it.
1: Oh, 100%. I, I
0: really hope he titled it the new, 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 new best game ever. Like that's, that's, I, I haven't looked at it yet, but I hope that's
1: actually, I hope he has no news. It's just the best game ever. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, all right. I think it's time for us to get out of here. Show's running. Uh, well, in true bootleg fashion quite long. Uh, we hope to see you again on Thursday for our TNF live stream Steelers Titans. Mm-hmm. Again, thank you to underdog for giving us a, uh, a bootleg special for all of our audience members. Uh, George Pickens higher than half a yard. So if you're already on underdog, you can access that through the link in the description. It's for new and existing customers. If you're not on underdog and you still want to play along with us for the TNF stream, Again, check them out at the link in the description, promo code bootleg. They'll hook you up with a deposit match up to $500 as well as that Pickens special. Um, Also want to thank our executive producers for bootleg football, Marat, Consti, Andrew, Liam, Connor, and Mike L. Once again, couldn't do this without you guys as well. Um, Fitzy, please don't send me my Lord again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my my liver can't take this season. I still have one more Bears game to go, and I I hold on. I actually have the bottle with me. We're we got a third left, oh man, ish, or maybe forty percent left. So, um, God willing, that will be gone from my life soon, and then I never have to drink it again. Uh, Fitzy, if you send it to me once again, I will donate it. I will donate it to EJ because I I can't I can't do it anymore.
1: And EJ's going to donate it to the sink because I've <laughs> had it before. So It'll I, corrode I, your pipes, man. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'll have a $5,000 plumbing bill because I poured Malort down my sink. No, I would drink a shot to remind myself of why it's such a terrible idea, and I would feel no compunction whatsoever to finish the bottle. So good on you, I guess. But no, we love our executive producers. They uh, have have always and continue to support us in ways that are completely unreasonable and we love them for that. Uh we'll see you guys
0: in a couple days for the TNF live stream. Thank you again to Underdog, thank you to producers, thank you to homage thank you to all of our partners that help make this show possible and thank you to you. Actually, I'll look at the camera. Thank you to you if you're still watching this late in the show. Uh and you and you and you and you and you. And you, and you. Okay, let's get out of here, EJ. See you in a couple days.